Hello, everyone. This is Steve Newell, and you're listening to an episode of The Bible Noodler. And today we're going to be talking about the Pentecost, the first harvest. And to give you a little background about Pentecost, if you're a Christian, you you know that this is the day that the church started. The Holy Spirit uh, came down in tongues of fire upon the um, the apostles. They spoke in tongues, and uh, lots of people were baptized, and that's recognized as the first day of the the church here on earth. And uh, but Pentecost actually has its roots in Judaism. Uh, way back from Exodus, it's one of the main holidays for the Jews, and um, it's called Pentecost, but it's also called the Feast of Weeks, and the Jews refer to it as the Feast of Weeks, and it's a it's a week-long celebration. The first day of the first of weeks is actually called First Fruits. So um, let's get a little background on this. Um, there are a couple of major holidays in Judaism where you make sacrifices to the Lord and you have to make these sacrifices actually at the temple. So you actually need to travel to Jerusalem to make that sacrifice. The first of those holidays is Passover. The second one is the Feast of Weeks. And the third one is called uh, Tabernacles. Uh, we've talked about Passover before. Passover is uh, when uh, the, in Jesus' Jesus's last Passover, that's when he went and he spent a week there uh, teaching and the tensions were growing higher and higher. He finally was killed and was resurrected on Sunday. And um, so keep in mind now that all these people that came from around the world to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, the, all these devout Jews, and devout believers in Judaism, not just uh, Jews, but but also Gentiles that were uh, believers, they came in the Passover and they, they saw all this happen, and then they returned home. And the next time uh, everyone returned to Jerusalem for a, a feast is the Feast of Weeks, or again, what we call Pentecost. The reason it's called Pentecost is because it's 50 days exactly after the celebration of the Passover. I'm going to read from Leviticus 23, verse 15. Uh, and this is where God establishes the Feast of Weeks and gives them direction about when to have the feast, when to celebrate it, and what to do during the Feast of Weeks. In verse 15 of Leviticus chapter 23, it says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits. To the Lord. So, and it goes on, but um, so a couple things to recognize here. Again, 50 days after Passover, and um, the idea is that you bring your first fruits. Now, what does that mean? I, I had always kind of thought, okay, this is a this is a celebration of the wheat harvest, and obviously the wheat harvest is incredibly important in that time. 
that was kind of the main, uh, obviously the the main staple for baking bread and and so on. So very very important crop. It takes six to seven months for it to gestate and be ready for for harvest. So that's a very long time. And um, so this is a celebration that the harvest is about to begin. This is the beginning of the harvest. The Feast of Weeks is not the, the celebration of the end of the harvest, but the beginning. And I'll tell you why. Because this is a celebration of the first fruits. So the idea is that you take the first fruits of the field and you harvest them and you leave everything else. You take uh, those first fruits, you bake those breads, and, and you take more grain, and you uh, you travel to Jerusalem, and you make this presentation. You stay there for about a week. It's a big, big celebration. You return home, and you finished harvesting the other, say, 98% of your harvest. So that's why it's called first fruits. I wondered why, how they can kind of determine what the first fruits are. I mean, do they just kind of eyeball it and say, okay, uh, let me just kind of cut down 2% of my harvest and, you know, bake the bread and, and travel over to Jerusalem, or how does that exactly work? Interestingly, what they used to do, they would plant the uh, the, the wheat, and then they would wait and wait and wait until the, the seedlings started to pop up. And the first seedlings to pop up and, and become stalks, you know, some kind of, they, they grow faster than others, right? So they would uh, watch for the first ones to come up, and they would actually take a, a reed or a piece of string or something, and they would tie it around that stalk, those stalks, those first uh, few stalks that came up, and um, and they would uh, they would kind of mark them as these are the first fruits. These are the and then uh, uh, throughout the months as they're going through the fields, it's kind of a visceral reminder. It's like oh, over there and over there and over there and over there. Those are the stalks that I'm going to be presenting to the Lord as the first fruits of my field of my harvest a couple of months from now when it comes to feast of weeks. So it's quite interesting. Um, that they they this truly is the first fruits. The other thing about first fruits is they have a kind of a ritual. When you go, when you're the farmer and you go to the temple and you make your presentation of this harvest, these first fruits, uh, and you give it to the priest, you actually go through a bit of a ritual, and um, you quote from Deuteronomy chapter 26. I'm going to read uh, chapter 26 verses. Uh, 1 through 11 here. Um, and it says, this is the instructions that God gives uh, the Jews for the um, for this holiday, the, uh, the Feast of Weeks. He says, when you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, again, this is this is the book of Deuteronomy. So this is before they go into the promised land. And he's saying when you get into the promised land and, and, and you begin farming and so on and so forth, this is what you're going to do. So, again, verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the, the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And we know that that becomes Jerusalem. And say to the priest in office at that time, quote, 
I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. And he's talking about Jacob, one of the forefathers. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror, with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, had given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. So to keep in mind here, um, this is a, uh, to sum it up, then the, the, the Feast of Weeks and the, this first day of the Feast of Weeks, which is the first fruits. Um, you take the first fruits of the harvest, you present them, you, you, and you, you go through this ritual and you kind of um, remember and uh, recant or, or recount the, 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 um, uh, how you got there. You know, we were in Egypt. We were in big trouble. God pulled us out of there. He put us in the promised land. He blessed us. And, and I really appreciate it. And I, I have not forgotten and I will not forget that the only reason I have these blessings is because you pulled me out of a diff difficult situation and you blessed me and I, I appreciate it. So that's the that's the, the core of this Feast of Weeks. So let's kind of fast forward to um, Jesus' time. And um, we've got the Passover. We know that uh, Jesus goes to that incredibly intense week. He's crucified. He's resurrected from the dead. And um, remember, again, that all these people have come into Jerusalem from all over the world and are have witnessed this. And um, he he's buried then there's all these wild rumors that he's been resurrected. But at that point, you know, after a couple of days, people have to start returning home. So they, they return home and, uh, you know, maybe the people that are back in their hometown ask them, hey, how did the, uh, how did the Passover go this year? Well, it was a little different. And, you know, they tell the story. Hey, this great teacher was there, and we've seen him other times. We've gone to Jerusalem. He's really amazing, and uh, he ran into trouble with the high priests, and they killed him, and he was buried, and they posted guards. But now there's people saying that he actually resurrected from the dead. We don't really know what happened. You know, so a lot of people thought maybe he's the Messiah. If he is the Messiah, then we killed him. And if he isn't the Messiah, well, he sure did a lot of miracles and was an amazing teacher. So I don't know what to think. So 50 days go by. Actually, 40 days go by. I want to read a passage in, um, in Acts. Let's, let's go to Acts now because that's where things get pretty interesting. 
and they start talking about the Pentecost. But so let's give a timeline here. We've got the Passover, and Jesus dies, buried, is resurrected on, on, uh, on the Sunday, and uh, everybody returns home. And we know that 50 days later, uh, everybody is now returning from all over the world back into Jerusalem. Um, but let me read from verse 1, chapter 1 of Acts. Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he, it goes on to uh, uh, say that he ascended into heaven. So got the Passover, he resurrects from the dead. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. So he's gone. Ten days after that, everybody starts streaming back into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, of which, again, the first day of Pentecost, the first day of the Feast of Weeks, is this presentation of the first fruits of your harvest. So think about the mentality or, or the mindset of all these devout Jews and devout non-Jews who are believers who are coming back into Jerusalem after Passover uh, seven weeks ago. And think about what they what must have been on their mind. I mean, they, they've seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus, they've seen the miracles, they've, they've heard about other miracles. Uh, maybe they were part of the crowd that was chanting for Barabbas and that turned against Jesus. I, I don't know, but a lot of them probably did. Some of them probably did. Um, but again, there's a big question. It's like, okay, I, I hear these crazy rumors that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. When I get back to Jerusalem, is there going to be some kind of resolution? Is there going to be some kind of announcement? Or do we know for sure what happened? Did they find a body and, and expose a, you know, some, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, that the apostles stole his body and they found it or something? What's, what's going to happen? Did, and here's the, here's the big question. Was Jesus really the Messiah? And did we just kill him? That's that's not good. So anyway, um, they um, they come in, and of course the um, the first uh, the the, uh, the the morning of Pentecost. This is what happens, and I'm going to start reading from chapter two. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and uh, we'll see what happens here. It's a little bit of a long passage, but very, very incredible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, and he's talking about the believers. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So, again, all these people are coming from all over the world, and uh, the apostles start speaking in tongues in their own native language. Now, Peter gets up, and he um, – so that's that's obviously quite shocking. And, um, and Peter gets up, and he uh, addresses the crowd, and he says um, – in verse 22, I'll skip to verse 22 of chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right, let's stop there for a second. So this is their worst fear. Uh, these these devout Jews, they really love God. They and 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 Peter says to them, he goes, God was a, Jesus was accredited to you by by uh, miracles, wonders, and signs, which God which Jesus did among you, which you yourselves know. He doesn't get up and say, Hey, I saw a bunch of miracles. Let me share about it. He goes, No, no, no. You saw the miracles. You were fed by the bread. You were healed. You heard his teaching. This, <laughs> don't believe me. You saw it with your own eyes. You know that this guy's the Messiah. And so he says to them, he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah. And, um, and it continues, verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
So if you think about it, God put in place a long, long time ago, actually before the creation of the world, this plan to save men, to save mankind. Um, and he, uh, all through the years, doing all the things that he did and culminating with um, allowing his son to be uh, killed on the cross, then raising him from the dead, all part of the plan of, of saving us. And this is the day. This is the, this is the harvest. This is the harvest of everything that God had planned and, and worked on for, you know, since the beginning of, of time basically. And these 3,000 people who saw that, yeah, I, they recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. I killed him. Um, I need to repent, which means to change my mind, to change my life, change my direction. I need to change. I need to devote myself to Jesus to make him Lord of my life. I need to devote myself wholeheartedly to Jesus. And they go ahead and they get baptized, which we know from Romans is, is going through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with Jesus. That's what uh, baptism is, full immersion. And so um, the 3,000 people do this. They get their sins forgiven. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, they, They've got God's Spirit in them now. And so God has finally seen a harvest, the very first harvest the first fruits of his efforts to save man. Here's the really interesting thing. I mean, that's that's incredible in its own. But I want to remind you of something that Jesus said during that Passover week that we were talking about. He's in the temple and he's he's teaching and people are challenging him. Uh, leaders are challenging him and so on and so forth. And here's, here's something that's always puzzled me. In John chapter 12, uh, he's, he's preaching and people are arguing with him and whatnot. And in John chapter 12, verse 20, something kind of unusual happens. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So get the picture. These guys are not Jews. They're Greeks, but they're believers. They're believers in God. They're believers in Judaism, and they want. They're on the outside looking in. They're Gentiles, okay, and and they want to meet Jesus. They're eager to meet Jesus, okay, and remember that God has set it up so that He's not only going to. Uh, save the Jews. He wants to save the whole rest of the world, the Gentiles as well. And many, many, many passages in the Old Testament talk about that uh, that his kingdom will be a home for all nations. All nations are going to come into his kingdom. And so now you got these Jews who are non uh, these uh, Greeks rather who are non Jews coming to say, "Hey, I want to see Jesus." Now, what does Jesus say? He says in verse twenty three, Jesus replied. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So think about this. The, the, uh, the 
a couple hours before Jesus is arrested and is going to be killed on the cross, he makes a statement. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, in other words, unless I die, uh, this, this movement, this salvation plan is going to grind to a halt. I need to, to die. And, uh, you know, when I die and I'm resurrected, it's going to create many, many other seeds of people who will also voluntarily die. Because he, he goes on to say, verse 25, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So in other words, he's saying, I'm going to sacrifice my life, and I'm going to create a whole bunch. By doing that, I'm going to create a whole bunch of other people who are also have the heart and are willing to serve God, even to the point of giving their entire life over to God. Maybe not, you know, they don't like, maybe they don't all necessarily die for the faith, but they give their time, their money, their energy, their talent, their heart. You know, they give everything they have to, to follow Jesus. And then Jesus is, is Lord of their life. Literally, they hand everything over to Jesus. They die to themselves and they live for Jesus. And so he's actually predicting. And, and when does it culminate? When does it culminate? He, he, uh, God plants this seed of Jesus. He plants this grain of wheat. And this grain of wheat dies. And on the day of first fruits, the first day of the Feast of Weeks that celebrates this harvest of wheat, that first day of first fruits, is when the first fruits from Jesus' death, Jesus' life, God's whole salvation plan are harvested and presented back to God. It's just amazing. It's it's just amazing how it all fits together. This day of Pentecost, I mean, there's layers and layers and layers and layers. It's so deep. But um, I just wanted to share that with you today. Uh, it's very inspiring and encouraging uh, to me that God <laughs> created these holidays. And um, there's just so much meaning in every step that God takes and that Jesus takes on behalf of God. It's just fascinating and uh, just so wonderful. Anyway, um, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Um, and if you can uh, click the subscribe button, um, I'm beginning to get the hang of uh, these podcasts. So uh, you can actually subscribe to my podcast if you like, Bible Noodler. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. <music>